If you have uh, a Bible with you, it would be helpful to have it open at 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, but if not, that is uh, completely fine. Uh, but if you've been here the last uh, few weeks, you know that we've been looking at this opening chapter of 1 Peter. And we've learned from what Peter has told us that uh, all those who trust in Jesus Christ have an everlasting inheritance reserved in heaven. Uh, it's not an inheritance of gold or silver or some heirloom or a house or some property as such. Uh, instead, it's an everlasting inheritance, one for us by Christ, which no one and nothing can ever take away from us. And understanding that, uh, if we are a believer, if our hope and our trust and our reliance is on Jesus Christ alone, should mean that we can walk through life with an inexpressible joy, as Peter puts it. Um, we should have an indescribable joy because there is nothing ultimately that can happen to us which will take away our eternal inheritance that Christ has won for us by dying for us on the cross. Uh, we've said, uh, for the Christian, this world is uh, rather like a hotel. Uh, it's not your home. You stay there for a while. Uh, perhaps some of the things which happen to you in the hotel might distress you, but it shouldn't cause you to despair, because at the end of the day... Whatever fire, whatever flood, whatever disaster happens in that hotel, it doesn't affect your home. Your home is safe. Your home is secure. And that's why, as believers, we should have joy, even when life is hard. But um, the reality is that so many of us, uh, even as believers walk through life without joy. Uh, we perhaps read what Peter says and we say, but I don't feel a joy inexpressible and full of glory. That's how he describes it in verse 8. And you say, no, life's hard. Uh, life's miserable sometimes. And yes, I understand what Peter is saying, but it doesn't seem very real. And sometimes it can be like there's a fog in our minds. And however much we talk about our eternal inheritance through Christ, it doesn't feel very real. The problems and the difficulties of this life seem much more real than the joy that's to come that the Bible speaks of. It reminds me of a story of a lady called Florence Chadwick. I'm pretty sure I've shared this before. Uh, but she was a swimmer, I think American swimmer, uh, in the last century. And uh, she um, had the challenge of swimming from an island uh, off the coast of the USA into New York Harbour. And it was a long swim and it was a, a great challenge. And she trained for a long time to accomplish this swim, uh, to swim, I think it was non-stop, essentially, from this island to New York Harbour. And she had done all her training and she felt that she was ready for the swim. Uh, but on the, de the day or the night she came to swim, uh, a fog descended. And as she was swimming, she grew more and more tired. And as she looked up, all she could see was fog. 
she could not see New York Harbour. And in the end, she, she gave up. Uh, she gave up the swim. She didn't think she could make it. Uh, but the fog cleared, and she discovered she was within sight of the harbour. And she said afterwards that if only I could seen, if only I could have seen the Statue of Liberty, if only I could have seen the harbour in front of me, I would have continued. I would have completed the challenge. But that's what the Christian life can be a little bit like for us. We can't see heaven. It seems to be shrouded in fog. And so life can feel very hard and difficult. And we want to give up because we can't see the point at the end. We cannot see the harbour. We cannot see our home. But in these verses, in Peter, in this first letter of Peter, Peter gives us help. Uh, Because the reality is however much we might not like to admit it. One of the reasons our sight is foggy, if I can put it that way, one of the reasons we can't see the harbour, one of the reasons we can't see heaven clearly and the problems of this world seem so much bigger is because we don't take advantage, as we should, the things which God gives us to help us to see more clearly. Um, We're a bit like a child who is complaining that the stones under their feet are sharp, but they're refusing to wear shoes. Uh, We're a bit like a person shivering in the cold, but refusing to wear gloves. Uh, We're like perhaps an old man griping about their pain, but they're refusing to listen to the doctor's instructions. Do you see, it's very easy to complain about how difficult things are, But it's another thing to put into practice the help and the support that God offers to us. And he does that chiefly through his word. Uh, The Bible says God has given us many exceedingly precious promises to help us through life's course. Uh, Romans chapter 15 verse 4 says, Whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. God gives us his word so that we might have hope. Uh, That's what Florence Chadwick lost. She lost hope uh, because she couldn't see what was in front of her. But we don't need to lose hope because we can see what we have through the precious promises in God's word. And we'll find great help, great comfort, great support if we are in listening to and studying what God's word says. And in these two, these just two short verses that, or three short verses that we're looking at, verses 10 to 12, uh, Peter explains why the Bible is so precious why the scriptures are so important. And he, he lifts up our gaze, as it were, to think how precious God's word is. And he tells us at least four things about the Bible. If you like, uh, he gives us four reasons why we should read the Bible, why our lives should be saturated in God's word. So the rest of our time this morning, I just want to look at those four reasons and hopefully encourage each of us, all of us, to be listening to 
God's word more. And the first thing, it's perhaps the most obvious thing, is the Bible tells us how to be saved from sin. The Bible tells us how to be saved from sin. Uh, Look at verses 9 and 10. Uh, Peter says, You receive the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. When he refers to the prophets, he's referring essentially to the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, to Isaiah, to Jeremiah, to Hosea, to Micah. He's referring to these prophets who came before, and he says that they searched carefully into the salvation which is revealed through Christ. The whole Bible is written to teach us how we can be saved from sin. Uh, The tragic truth is often we think we have much bigger problems than sin. We perhaps think our bank balance is our biggest problem. Uh, We think our relationship status is our biggest problem. Uh, We think our health is our biggest problem. And these are problems for sure. But it's not our biggest problem. The Bible says our greatest problem is our sin. And our sin is, the Bible says, like a disease. The worst disease you can have. Because the diseases we talk about in hospitals and which concern us generally can take away our life on earth. But sin can destroy us for eternity. Uh, It's not for nothing that in the Bible sin is compared to leprosy. I don't know if you've seen um, these uh, pictures perhaps on some of these appeals on the TV screens and uh, adverts and things. And you see children who are afflicted with leprosy and, and men and women. You see their limbs are terribly maimed and deformed and distorted because of this terrible disease, leprosy. And that's how the Bible describes sin, our envy, our lust, our gluttony, our greed, uh, our flattery. Uh, All these things which we are disgusted with when we see them in others, but we're often blind to in ourselves. Uh, The Bible says these things deform us, they twist us, they deface us. It's like a terrible disease which is eating away at us. But the Bible teaches us how we can be healed. The Bible teaches us how we can be healed from this terrible disease of sin. Peter himself writes later in this letter, he says, Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds You were healed. The Bible says we can be healed from sin because of Christ's death on the cross. And instead of sin killing us, we can die to sin. And we can live to righteousness through Christ living within us. But the Bible doesn't just say sin is like a disease. It goes further than that. Uh, Sin is also an offence. Sin is a sickness which leads us to deliberately do evil things. I don't know if you would describe yourself as evil, but the Bible does. 
Uh, we all do things which the Bible describes as evil. We lie. Uh, we uh, say things about others we should never say. Uh, in our hearts, if not in practice, we hate people. We murder people, as Christ puts it. Uh, we all have the seeds of great sin in our hearts. And we deliberately ignore what God says. Uh, it's not just a sickness which happens to us. It's also what we do to others and we ignore God deliberately. That's why the Bible says God commands all people everywhere to repent. It's not just something which happens to us. It's something we do and we deserve to be judged. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that a more kind of um, uh, difficult thought to deal with. It's one thing for someone to say to you, you're sick and you need a doctor. Uh, it's another thing for someone to say, you're guilty and you deserve to be punished. Uh, because if you're sick, it's not your fault. Uh, more often than not, it's not your fault if you have a disease. But if you're guilty, it is your fault. And you deserve to be punished. But, again, the Bible teaches us how we can be saved from the punishment. Uh, the Bible says that Jesus took our punishment on himself so that we can go free. There's nothing left for us to pay. And the Bible describes Christ as our defense. He's our defense lawyer, if you can put it in that way. And he gives us the greatest defense, his own death on the cross. And so when we stand before God in judgment, God says, you're not guilty because Christ has already paid the debt. You see how the Bible teaches us how we can stand innocent on that day. But there's one other way the Bible describes how dangerous sin is. And sin is dangerous because it removes us from the protection of the shepherd. Uh, Peter again writes later in this letter how our adversary, our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The Bible teaches that Satan's active. And he wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy us forever. But when we sin, we put ourselves at the mercy of Satan. We remove ourselves from the protection of Christ and we put ourselves at, Christ's, um, at Satan's mercy. And he is not merciful. I just read this last week, actually. I think it was online somewhere. And uh, someone said, uh, if you let Satan write your story, he'll write a horror story. And yet so many do that in their lives. They give Satan the pen of their lives. They ignore God and they succumb to Satan's temptations and they reap the tragic consequences of it. But again, the Bible gives us the solution and it describes Christ as the good shepherd. And again, Peter writes late, he says, but you, to these believers, but you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. The Bible directs us to the good shepherd who can protect us from all the schemes of the devil. Now I hope that makes you want to read the Bible more. I hope when you hear that you see a little bit more clearly the danger we are in, uh, the sickness of sin the guilt of sin, the danger we have from the devil. But the Bible 
points us how we can be saved, how we can be freed from all these dangers safely in Christ. So that's the first reason we should read the Bible. That's the first reason the Bible is so crucial, because it teaches us how to be saved from sin. But let's move on. Let's move on to the second reason that Peter uh, gives us. The second reason is because the Bible is all about Jesus. Uh, The Bible teaches how to be saved from sin, but the second reason is the Bible is all about Jesus. Uh, I don't know if you like to read magazines. I'm sure we all do uh, on occasion. Uh, But isn't it interesting that so many people in our society will happily spend hours devouring the magazines to learn about different celebrities, um, Beyonce, Taylor Swift, Meghan Markle, or whoever you want to name. And people will spend huge amount of time learning about these celebrities and these sports people, and they're just men. They're just women. Uh, and often they're not the most commendable men and women. And yet people will spend huge amount of time delving into their lives, learning who they're going out with, who they're going to marry, how their marriage is doing. And they want to learn everything about such people. And yet Jesus is the single most important person ever to have existed. I think you could probably say that even if you weren't a Christian. I think many non-Christians would have to agree with that. Uh, Not many other people in history have split history in two, B.C. and A.D. Uh, Jesus is the single most important person in history. Uh, Listen to what Peter says, though. Uh, Peter says in verse, I'll read from verse 10. uh, It says, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Now, it's quite wordy, but what what Peter's saying there is that the whole Bible is all about Jesus. Uh, Everything points to him. Uh, If you want to find out about Jesus, you have to go to the Bible. If you want to find out about the greatest man who ever lived, then you have to go to the Bible, because that is who it is all about. We find that a bit difficult to understand, don't we? Because um, the New Testament, we can understand, yes, Jesus is mentioned a lot. Uh, His name is essentially on every page of the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, it's not so much, is it? Uh, If you ever try to read some of the Old Testament books, you think, what on earth is this all about? Um, There is no mention of Jesus by name, the name Jesus Christ. And yet what Peter is teaching us is that everything that was written before teaches us about him. So there's no part of the Bible we can ignore. There's no part of the Bible we can afford to say, oh, it doesn't matter anymore. Everything is there to teach us more and more facets of the glory of Christ. Do you remember Jesus when he walked on the road to Emmaus? Uh, His two disciples were miserable because they believed he was dead and all their hopes had come to nothing. Uh, But as they're walking, Jesus comes alongside them, but they don't recognize him. And he asks them, why are you sad? And they tell him, "Um, it's because Jesus has died, and we thought he was going to be the savior of our people. And Luke says that Jesus explains to them 
in all the scriptures, all the things concerning himself. And he, he describes how the lamb that was slaughtered to rescue the Israelites from Egypt, how that pointed to the blood of Christ. Uh, how Isaiah prophesied about the servant who would die and would suffer for the sins of his people, how that was all about Christ. And those disciples, as they listened, it says their heart burned within them as they saw that the whole Bible points to him. Uh, Someone once said that the Old Testament is a room richly furnished but dimly lit. And you could say the New Testament is that same room, but lit up with Christ. And if we read the New Testament, we can understand what the Old Testament is all about. And just one final point with that. I'd encourage you to do this. Uh, If you have a Bible which you uh, do not mind uh, writing in, uh, let me encourage you to, um, perhaps uh, starting today, it'll take a while, but it's worth doing, uh, read through the New Testament And every time the New Testament mentions a verse from the Old Testament, get a highlighter, highlight that verse, write in, and then find that verse in the Old Testament, the verse it mentions, and write in the margin where it's mentioned in the New Testament. And go through the whole New Testament like that, so that you have every record of where the Old Testament is quoted in the New Testament. And then go and read the Old Testament And you'll have your very own commentary on the Old Testament. And you'll see how many times the people in the New Testament mention the Old Testament. And you'll get a much richer, a much deeper understanding of how Christ is in every part of the Bible. So that's the second reason we should read our Bibles. Because it's all about Jesus, who is the most important person to have ever existed. Let's move on to the third reason. Uh, The third reason we should read the Bible, because it can be tempting uh, when we come to the Bible to think, well, it's all very well, uh, but it was written a long time ago. Uh, The latest parts were written about 2,000 years ago. The oldest part were written thousands of years before that. And we can think, well, what has the Bible got to say to us today? It doesn't talk about televisions, It doesn't talk about cars, it doesn't talk about aeroplanes, it doesn't talk about the internet. All these things which are so relevant to us living today were unknown in Bible times. And people can easily say, well, perhaps the Bible was good then, but it's got no application to us today. But let's listen to what Peter says again. Listen to what he says in verse 12. Speaking of the prophets who spoke in the Old Testament... He says, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you. Isn't that amazing? Peter says that the prophets knew that ultimately they weren't talking chiefly to those they were writing to or preaching to. They were writing for our benefit. So that we today those in Peter's day and us today, could read what the prophets wrote and diligently inquired into so that we might learn more about Christ and what he has accomplished for us. So never be tempted to think, oh, the Bible's not written for us. It's not for us, it was for them many hundreds, thousands of years ago. 
No, it's written for us. It's still relevant to us today. And those prophets suffered tremendous things that we might have the Bible today. Jeremiah was thrown into a muddy well and escaped only by the um, uh, intercession of uh, an Ethiopian servant in the palace. Uh, Isaiah, if tradition is right, was martyred. Uh, Many of the other prophets we could mention suffered huge and terrible things. They stood against kings. Uh, They suffered hunger. They uh, suffered thirst. And they did it all so that we might have hope, as Romans 15 verse 4 puts it. Doesn't that make you want to read the Bible more? It should do. To think of what it cost men and women in past centuries to give us this book. And they did it in the knowledge that they were writing for our benefit. You might say, well, it's a lot of effort to read the Bible. Well, it was a lot of effort for them to write it as well. The least we can do is listen to what they have to say to us. That's the third reason we should read the Bible, because it's written for us, not just for them. Let's move to the fourth and last reason we should read the Bible. Let me read verse 12 again. Verse 12 says, To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which have now been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. Peter says that the things which the prophets and the apostles wrote about, angels desire to look into them. The greatest beings that we know of outside of God himself, they long to look into the things which the Bible speaks of. Uh, The prophets saw them, the things afar off, they saw what Christ would do and what he would accomplish. And we're told the angels themselves look on, wondering at what was going to happen. Um, You can almost imagine them in the Garden of Eden. I don't know if it was like this. I'm not privy to what angels experience. Uh, But perhaps it was something like this. The angels saw God create Adam and Eve and place them in a garden. And they saw how he showered blessing and grace upon them. And then they saw how Eve listened to the serpent. You can always imagine them saying, no, don't listen to him. Ignore him. But they see her take the fruit and then give to Adam And he succumbs and he falls as well. And the angels wonder, what's going to happen next? How can these possibly live? They have deliberately turned their back on their creator. And yet God does not destroy them. Instead, God takes an animal, most likely a lamb, and he kills it. And he takes the skin of that animal and he makes clothes for Adam and Eve. And yes, he casts them from the garden, but he does not cast them from himself forever. You must, the angels must be thinking, what's going on? Why is God still remaining merciful to these humans? They deserve to be punished. They deserve to be judged. But God is not judging them. Instead, he gives them a promise. He says that one of Eve's descendants will destroy the serpent 
who deceived them. And then they would look on through history, how God continues to be patient with humanity, how they continue to reject him and to ignore him and turn their back on him. And God does come in judgment, but never without mercy. God continues to be merciful to these creatures that he has created. And these angels perhaps listen to some of the things the prophets say, uh, what God inspires them to say, and they try to piece it all together. What is God doing? What is God's plan? And they see the lamb slaughtered on the day of redemption. They see the offerings that God commands the people to offer when they commit sins. They see the blood on the doorpost, and they wonder, what can it all mean? They listen to Isaiah and what Isaiah says about a servant who would come and suffer for the sins of the people. They're trying to understand it and they're trying to piece it together. Until finally, in a little village, in a manger in Bethlehem, they see God himself, God's own son, stepping into the world. That would have blown an angel's mind. (laughs) The one they worshipped in heaven has become one of these human creatures. And he's lying in a manger, born to peasant parents. They can't believe their eyes. They can't believe the humility of this God. And then they watch on and they see how people abuse Jesus. They reject Jesus. They deny Jesus. Even his closest friends run away when he is in trouble. And the angels wonder, what on earth is going on? And perhaps when Christ is arrested and he's taken to be crucified, perhaps uh, they get their armies ready and they're just waiting for the call of Christ, commanding them to come and rescue him from the cross. And they're all ready. They're waiting. But the cry never comes. Instead, they hear Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Do you see how the angels would marvel at what Christ was doing? And then again, three days later, they would see him rise from the dead. And finally, perhaps, they would understand that Jesus was suffering. He was dying for the sins of all those who would trust in him. This was God's plan from the beginning, that he would shower his love on people who hated him, and he would die for them so they would not have to die themselves. Is it any wonder... That Peter says in verse 12, that angels desire to look into these things. Let me ask you this morning, what about you? Do you desire to look into these things? Or is the TV, is the magazine more precious to you? Uh, Is the gossip columns or whatever else it might be, do they capture your heart more than the wonderful things God's word teaches things which even angels desire to look into. So those are the four reasons, indirectly, that Peter gives us why we should read the Bible. Firstly, because the Bible teaches us how to be saved from the terrible thing that is sin. Uh, Secondly, it is all about Jesus, the greatest man who ever existed. Thirdly, it's written for our benefit, and people have suffered great things that we might read it. And lastly, even angels long to look into these things and understand them better. You may have noticed as you uh, came in that we do have a little book table outside now. And that's not just, that's for anyone who wants to take things. 
and on that book table, uh, I've just put a, put a few, few, he put a few resources which might help you because uh, the Bible is difficult. <laughs> the Bible is difficult to understand sometimes and uh, it's quite a challenge to get into it. Um, but there are helps to it. So if you'd like to take, we do have a little um, um, prayer diary which gives you a little reading to read every day. And it tells you in a little section of the Bible you can read and you can perhaps write any thoughts you have in the prayer diary. Uh, we've got another little booklet here which gives little thoughts on different passages which might help you as you seek to understand it. And I've just got one example here of a um, book um, on John's Gospel. And it just takes a little reading. There's 30 readings which it takes from John's Gospel every day and it explains what the Bible says. And these things can help us understand all that God has accomplished for us. And if you'd like any of those, they're on the book table outside and you're more than welcome to take whatever you think would be helpful to you. Uh, that's long-standing attendees and visitors as well, anyone who wants one. Let's just close with a prayer and then we'll sing our first hymn, our last hymn. Father God, we do thank you so much for your word. Uh, we thank you for those who have suffered great things that we might read it. We pray that we would have the same desire that angels have uh, to look into these things and understand them better so that we all uh, might understand more about who Christ is and what he has done and how he has made the way open that we might be saved from sin. Uh, we need you. We need your Holy Spirit to help us to understand. So we pray that each and every one of us uh, would delve deeper into your word and understand it better, that you may receive all the glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll close by singing our final hymn, number 332. Uh, 332. And it's a hymn all about God's word and the preciousness and the wonder of it. 332. The Spirit breathes upon the word and brings the truth to sight. Precepts and promises afford a sanctifying light. And the last verse says, My soul rejoices to pursue the steps of him I love till glory breaks upon my view in brighter worlds above. So let's stand to sing in closing 332.